Preach, teach, speak the word, son. Let's just go ahead and begin to praise him. Almighty God, I worship you, I praise you, I exalt you, I magnify you. You are a good God. You are a mighty God. There's no place I would rather be on a Wednesday night than worshiping you with your people. Almighty God, we thank you, we thank you, we give you thanks for the life that you have given us, for pulling us out of darkness. Oh, into your marvelous light, freeing us from the chains of bondages of this world, God, and living in the liberty of your spirit. Oh, we love you. We love you. We love you. Oh, mighty God, what a wonderful spirit that is in this place. And I just want to pray real quick that I hope God opens our hearts and opens our minds for the word today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We start with Luke 17 and 1. I want to talk to you today about handling offenses. How to handle being offended. Because there's a godly way of doing it, and then there's man's way of doing it. Like today, I am preaching from paper today. I haven't done this in years because my machine decided to offend me by not working. And it's lucky that it's an expensive machine or else I would have thrown it. That's how I felt because it stopped working right when I pulled up. So I had to go get this printed out at the office over there and pray that God I am not offended and that you are a wonderful person and you're doing this to me on purpose because you have a sense of humor. Thank you, Lord. So offense, how to handle offense. Then said unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto them through whom they come. Jesus said that it is impossible not to be offended in your lifetime. Someone, something is going to offend you and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's going to happen. Offenses are coming. It's probably already happened in your life. And here's a news flash. They're going to happen again and again and again. The question isn't about if we're going to be offended. The question is are, how do we handle being offended? There is no way to avoid it. Somebody is going to outrage you. Somebody's going to insult you. Somebody is going to wrong you. And somebody is going to humiliate you. Whew. That last one humiliates you. Anyone here ever been humiliated? Well, in 2 Samuel 10, we find a story of David when he was a king and on the throne. And his friend Nahash had just passed away. David remembered Nahash as being friendly to him while he was king. He was kind to him, so David wanted to send an escort, just like if someone passed away in a nation today, someone, the president would send someone of a high officiating position to go to that ceremony to pay their respects to that leader, or the president himself would go to that ceremony. David, this has been a tradition that goes all the way back to David, so David dispatches Two of his strongest warriors, two of his strongest men in his army. And this was to show his respect to the king, Nahash. 
But something happened along their journey. Someone got into the sun of, of King Nahash. Someone got into his ear. And, and what that person was saying was that he's sending his two strongest, smartest military advisors. And that he's not coming to, to re, for respect of the nation. He's coming to survey the land in order to invade it. Whew. Man, talk about perception. Pastor Sat preached. So his perception completely changed due to deceit and a lie. That's something that wasn't true. So when the, the two men who were to be pretty much recognized as, as Israelites, these are the ambassadors, these people were here to show respect to the nation, something completely different happened. They took them, and the prince, who then was the king at the time, said, I want you to shave their half of their beard, and I want you to cut their robe all the way up on the backside so it shows their hind parts. Talk about being humiliated. You see, I'm pretty sure that those men of mighty valor, the men of, of valor, because that's the group that, this, that these people came from. These were two of the strongest men in the army. They would much rather than be humiliated by shaving half of their beard and, and by showing their hind parts. They would much rather if you just tortured them and beat them, something that was warlike, you know? <laughs> like, please just beat me. Don't do this to me. But no, this, this cut into the manhood of who they were. You see, even in the Middle East today, and I'm not trying to make a case for beards, a beard was a sign of your manhood. It was a sign of maturity. And when you shaved half of the beard, what you were showing was childlike features. You were humiliating their honor and their manhood. You see, this all happened at the king's bidding. By simply doing what they were told, King David asked them to go out, to go be part of the ceremony in order for respect of the kingdom. And because they followed, because they followed what David had to say, they were persecuted for it. Much like Christians today, if you're going to live this life, guess what? It's not easy, and you are going to find offenses. You are going to get humiliated. You are going to find people who come against you. A matter of fact, if you are not being offended and people aren't coming against you, then you are probably doing something wrong. When you're doing work in the kingdom of God, because in this PC world today, the things that we say, the, the lifestyle that we live can come off as offensive to the world because that's their perception. Let me live how I want to live and leave me alone. That they will come at you and offend you. And it's all about how you react to that offense, whether your testimony and your Christian character shines through in your life. There is no escape from offenses. A matter of fact, the more you live in this lifestyle, the more we run into offenses. Welcome to life. Welcome to this lifestyle. As these mighty men of valor were walking back to Jerusalem's whispers began to, to come back to King David of what had happened. And when they started to come back, David said, no, no, no. To, the, to one of his servants, he said, no, go out there and get them before they come back into the kingdom. I don't want my men of valor, my strong men, to be seen like this. I don't want the crowds in the streets to, to surround them and see them in their shame. 
I don't want, I don't want them to be seen this way. I don't want the nation to become enraged over a misunderstanding. I don't want people to talk and whisper about what had happened to my men who served me. I'm happy that we serve a God who feels the same way. That when we are in our shame and that when we are in our offense and that when we might be at our most vulnerable, that he covers us in, our blood, in his blood. Not only does he cover us in his blood, but he shields us that when I am weak, he is my strength, that he is my shelter, he is my protector. He is there as my covering. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Just like King David was trying to do, protecting his men from the shame. I'm so thankful I have a God that way. I have a, a God who is faithful with me. Too many times we look at the situation. They cut off my beard. They embarrassed me. They, they humiliated me. They cut my robe so that people could see my immodesty, my hind parts. There's nothing I could do about it. And they allow sin and anger to get into their life. And they want to retaliate. When all God is saying, no, no, let me, let me talk to you. I want to do something for you. And, and this is what David did for those two men. He sent them to Jericho. And what Jericho means is the sweet place. So he sent them to Jericho so that their beards would regrow and that they would have clothes on and that when they were ready to come back, they could come back. And that's some things that, that what God wants us to do when we become offended is that, hey, you need to go to your happy place. You need to go to that sweet place. You might need to go into your prayer closet and get, into the, and get in the presence of angels and the spirit of God. Because retaliation is not an option. And all he's trying to tell them is that it's okay that they shaved your beard. Don't worry, it'll grow back. It's okay that they cut open your clothes and, and that they humiliated you. Don't worry about that. You did that in my name's sake. It's, it's okay. You were just doing what you were told. You can have new clothes. We can put you back the way that you were. We can make you whole again. Don't worry about these things that you see. And too many times we focus on the situation at hand. What they did to me. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. The one thing that the scripture says about God is that vengeance is his and the other, and in the same framework of that sentence, the only thing that replaces vengeance in that type of framework is tithing. So two things in the Old Testament, he says, vengeance is mine and the tithing is mine. Whew, powerful, right? So the vengeance is mine. All God is telling us to do is to forgive. Don't worry about vengeance. Vengeance is mine, and that's my job. Your job is to keep your Christian character. It's to keep your joy. It's to keep your peace. It's to keep your comfort. It's to keep your shelter. It's to keep your strength. Because God will repay those who come against you, and God knows exactly how to take care of your situation, more so than you ever will. He knows exactly how to cast revenge upon your enemies. Don't take away from God what is his. 
John 16 and 33. These things I have spoken unto you that, that, that in me might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. So guess what? You are going to have tribulation, but you have peace in me. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The issue isn't if we're going to be offended. The issue is how am I going to handle when I get offended? How do I respond to my offense? Matthew 24 and 10. And then shall many be offended. And look what offense does. And shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. And look what rises out of offense. And many false prophets shall rise. And shall deceive many. The word here, many, actually means the majority. So at least 51% of the Christian nation, because he's talking about the Christian people, they will be offended and deceived. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Offense that is not taken care of will destroy the love that you have for God, the love that you're supposed to have for people. Bitterness will climb into your life. The word in, in verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, it can also be translated, in the New King James Version, it translated, translates it like this. Lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness will abound. If the offense is not dealt with, then it will end up in betrayal and ultimately end up for hate for one another. Whew. Proverbs 18 and 19. Look at this. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And their, cont and their uh, what's that word? Someone read it to me. Contentions, sorry. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. What do strong cities have around them? Walls. A strong city has walls around them. And when people offend you and you allow that offense to get deep into your heart, what do you begin to build in your life? Walls. Now, it's not, it's not your fault. It's a, natural, uh, it's a natural defense mechanism in people that when I get hurt, I don't feel like getting hurt again. So I don't want to feel that. So I'm going to build a wall around. And the wall will have a gate, and it'll let in who I want to let in, and it'll close off who I want to close off. We build walls around our offenses. The New Testament doesn't just call them walls because these are not physical walls. These are not walls that are, these are walls that are built around our mind and around our heart. So the New Testament doesn't just call them walls, but I'm so happy you quoted that scripture, it calls them strongholds. That these are strongholds in your life. What is a stronghold? You see, the Bible says that, that a stronghold is or the reasonings or processes that we develop deep within ourselves that are contrary to God. Whew. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
What are the strongholds? They're these, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So everything that is disobedient, every imagination that is not of God, evil, wicked imaginations, and the pulling down of the strongholds, anything that keeps us in captivity. Strongholds, they are the, reason, they are the reasonings or thought processes that we develop deep within ourselves that are contrary to God. How many people here know that the word of God is rooted into his very nature? God is what? God is love. God doesn't just have love, but he is love. He is the personification of what love is. And what love tells us to do, one of the conditions of love, is selflessness. What it says is to give, to give, to give. That is what love tells us to do. You see, when someone has been offended, the thought process now shifts completely. And the nature of the person now shuts down from love and now moves to protect, protect, protect. I have been hurt and I don't want to be hurt anymore, so I am going to protect myself. This makes us a candidate for betrayal. Like the scripture says, that once we are offended, we now become a candidate for betrayal. Betrayal is the next thing that happens in our life. Because when we're offended and we allow offense into our life, we now become hypersensitive to every situation. Right? And we are looking for reasons to be offended. We are looking for reasons to feel betrayal, to justify, to, for justification to our feelings in the position that I'm in. Betrayal. Now, this makes us candidates for betrayal. Now, a lot of people think that betrayal is the extreme cases, Judas and Benedict Arnold, that these are the most extreme cases of betrayal. But it's not, that's not what betrayal actually truly means in, in its definition. In its definition, betrayal means I will seek my benefit or my protection at the cost of the relationship of the one that I have with. So my benefit and my protection is worth more than my value in our relationship. I'm selfish. That is what true betrayal is. I will choose myself over you, and that is completely against Christianity. So what does this mean? It means that because my mindset has shifted from give, 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 to protect, 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 that I will choose myself over the relationship of the person that I have. If the betrayal is not dealt with, it will ultimately lead to hatred. Look at the road the scripture is taking us down. Offense, betrayal, hatred. Hatred in the Greek literally means loveless, the void of love, a place without love. A lot of people think that those that hate are very emotional, but that's just not true. A person that hates can have no emotion at all, which is even worse. Absalom hated his brother Amon, but, but didn't speak good or bad about him. Absalom had the absence of love or any emotion towards his brother whatsoever. True hatred. I don't care. I'm not even giving you the time or day to even be a part of my thoughts. Whether I'm angry with you or not, you've been cut off. You do not exist to me. The void of love. 
The Bible says that if you hate your brother, then you are a murderer, and you can't even think that you have eternal life within you. Sorry, we don't live in the cookie-cutter religious world of today. Where it says that, you know, it's just by grace that you are saved. I believe in that, that it is by grace that we are saved. But grace has come as a teacher to teach us how to live godly in this present world. The once saved, always saved isn't even a mentality in the majority of churches today. It's just what has emerged and it is the easiest to preach in the, in the generation that we have today. Once saved, always saved is a very scary deception. Verse 11, And many false witnesses shall rise and shall deceive many out of, out of offense, out of hatred, out of betrayal. What will rise up? False prophets will rise up and they shall deceive many. So what this tells me is that offense is a breeding ground for deception. A person, that is deceived, a person that is deceived believes with all of their heart that they are right even though they are dead wrong. How scary is that? How many people here have deceived themselves? Whew, I've done it before. Chocolate chip cookies are healthy. Cake is healthy. Chocolate, mmm, deceive myself. Okay, and... And, but this is a breeding ground for deception. It is scary when we believe in something that is a heaven or hell issue. It is a salvational issue, and we are being deceived. False prophets in the New Testament were known as wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I want you to notice something. That the New Testament only ever refers to wolves in sheep's clothing, not wolves in shepherd's clothing. Everyone's looking for the witch hunt, the man behind the pulpit, the pastor. No, no, no. From what I've learned in my experience of the, the 13 or 14 years I've been in church, the people who are being deceived and the ones who are, who are uh, acting like wolves are the ones who sit in the seats. It's the truth. Sorry. That's not, that's not offensive. I mean, everyone here has been a part of a conversation that they weren't supposed to be a part of if we want to be transparent with each other, including myself. Now, there is something I, I've learned about wolves, that they travel in packs, and when they find someone, they isolate them. And they try to feed them their deception. They're looking for someone that's weak, if, and we can see that across churches. You can see the people who are weak, and that who gravitates towards the weak people? The people who are half in, half out, mostly out. Proverbs 18.11 a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Be very careful when you start isolating yourself. And you have to remember this isolation doesn't just occur physically. Isolation actually begins within your mind. So you can be a member of a huge church family, a huge congregation, but still be alone and isolating yourself through your deception. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, lawlessness will abound. That's iniquity shall abound. And it can also be translated as lawlessness will abound. That's the New King James Version. And the love of many will wax cold. That your love will wax cold. There's no darker place you could ever be when your love begins to wax cold. 
when it begins to dry up and you feel dead inside. All because of an offense. The Greek word, anomia, what does it mean? It is the word that is here with lawlessness will abound or iniquity shall abound. That is the word that is used in that phrase. What it means is not submitted to the authority of God. You are not submitted to the authority of God. So in other words, lawless thinking will abound because many have been offended and that the lawlessness of people will cause their love to grow cold. The scary part here is that we understand lawlessness because it bounds within society today, right? We can look at it out in the world and see what lawlessness is. And, and, but that's not what God is talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about his church when lawlessness abounds within his church through offense. Be very careful when you are offended because this is the road. This is the path that we travel so many times when we become offended. Many of us have been there. I was just there not so recently, to be completely honest. He specifically is talking about his church. Verse 13, but he that will endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. The person that can hurt you the deepest is the person that is closest to you. Psalms 55 and 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me than I could bear, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, than I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel with each other. We walked in the house of God in the throng. We were friends. We were close. We worshiped the same God. You are the one who offends me most. Why can't an, an enemy offend us the way that friends can offend us? Because the expectation is completely different. I expect my, my enemies to offend me. I'd be worried if they didn't. I expect that. My expectation is way down here when it comes to them. But when it comes to my friend, my expectation is a little different. When it comes to my church family, my expectation is a little higher. When it comes to my pastor and the leadership in my life, my expectation is even higher. A matter of fact, John Revere says this in his book, The Bait of Satan. The greater the expectation, the greater the potential offense. Meaning the closer the person is, the greater you have of expectation for that person, then the greater the degree of offense that is potential in your life. Being vulnerable. So here's the question. If I have been genuinely mistreated, do I have the right to be offended? Let me make it clear to you that we all have the free will to do whatever we want. We can, and, and we probably have taken matters in our own hands when we get offended, right? And it never really turns out that great, does it, when we take matters in our own hands? Matter of fact, we probably make them worse. And we cause wars between us, and we drive wedges between families, and we hurt each other, and when God is completely against that. 
I understand cliques, but cliques don't have wedges between one another. People who get along with each other better than other people that get along with each other, I understand how that works. It's fine. But when you begin to hate one another, when you begin to offend one another within the church family, God is not looking kindly at that situation. So, how do we handle it? And we do not have the right to be offended. First, that's the answer to the question. We do not have a right to be offended, obviously. We don't. The reason why we don't have a right to be offended is because how am I supposed to walk in the presence of God if I'm walking, if I'm walking in offense? When God says, those who offend you, no, no, don't worry, I will avenge them. Don't worry about it when he's talking about our offense. And, and one of the things that when we become offended, what is really hurting in us? The one thing that God tells us to get rid of, our pride. My pride is what is offended. That's why I'm hurting so much is because my pride is typically hurt. In most cases, in other cases, you, you may have a right to just feel the way that you feel. But most of the time, it's my pride. But Keith, how many times have we heard this? You don't know what that person has done to me. You don't understand. You've never had it happen to you. How many times have we heard this from somebody? How many times have we ever said that to somebody? A person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. If you cannot forgive, then you are unworthy of God's forgiveness. Matthew 24 and 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, you see, Peter was probably waiting to hear, yes, my good and faithful servant, but he got a whole lot more than what he bargained for when he asked Jesus this, because it's absolutely important to God. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, 490 times, by the way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. How many people here know this story? And the king was trying to settle his accounts, and he came to a certain servant. And he said, hey, you owe me 10,000 talents. Just to give you an idea of how much 10,000 talents were during this period of time, and today people estimate it to be north of $10 billion. $10 billion. So it's a debt that you could never repay. And when, the, when the, he said, hey, you need to repay me this, or I'm going to send you to the, to the dungeons to be tortured. I'm going to sell your family, and your, and your kids are going to be tortured. And he fell to on his face and his knees before the king, and he said, please don't. I will repay you. I, I promise you, don't do this. And he had compassion upon him. And when the king had compassion, he, he cleared all debt with him. $10 billion worth of talents cleared it with him. Now that same servant, he went out into the town and he found a fellow servant who owed him money. And when he came to him, he pushed him against the wall with his throat, or his hands on his throat. And when he pushed him against the wall with his hands on his throat, he said, you owe me the money. You need to give me the money. If you don't give me the money, I'm throwing you in prison. 
And then the servant pleaded with him the same way he pleaded to the king. Please don't. Don't do this. I have a family. I I need to feed them. I will pay you back the money. And he said no, and he sent them to prison. Hmm. And when the king heard about this, he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. You sh- should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his servant was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespass. The man owed in debt was 10,000 talents. It was estimated to be $10 billion, a debt that he could never be repaid. It's safe to say that nobody in this room could pay back $10 billion. And if you can pay back $10 billion, please let us know. We want to be your friend and get into your will. But the master forgave him of all debt. The servant then went and found another servant who personally owed him money, took him by the throat, threatened him. How can we be so hypocritical to impose on people the same very thing we've been forgiven of? How hypocritical are we? This world is looking for a church of authenticity. It's not looking for a hypocritical nature. It is looking for someone who is genuine. It is looking for something that they can touch, that they can hold, that they can handle, and they call their own, and that they can be safe in. The way that we forgive is the same way that God forgave us. And when, and when we don't forgive those who offend us or, tres- or trespass against us, then you can expect what will happen to the servant. And the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he paid his debt. Isn't that what Christ did for us? He paid a debt I could never pay. I deserve hell. I deserve to be in hell. But guess what? Jesus paid a debt to me. He shed his life abroad for all the world so his blood could cover me. A person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. I'm going to close with this. I personally just went through one of the greatest offenses of my life without getting too far into it. I, uh, I work really hard and uh, to make sure certain things succeed and, and just put it all on my back, and just, and just went for it. And then a decision was made that devastated me by people who I looked up to. Nobody in this church, don't worry. And it devastated me. And when the decision was made official and everyone else found out about it, people came to me and asked what had happened. I had to trick myself thinking I wasn't offended, that God controls all things, that I'm okay. Absolutely not. Stop deceiving yourself. You're not okay. That living the Christian life, I'm not allowed to be offended because being offended shows a sign of weakness. And I am not someone who is weak. I am also not someone who cries very often. But this situation put me on my knees multiple times. And I would have thought about the situation and I, and I would think about it every morning and throughout the day and, and all through the night and I, because I was so passionate about it and I loved it. 
and I, uh, and I begin dying inside. And there's some offenses that happen that leave a certain thing. So, Chance, if you could come up here real quick. Run. Quickly. You're faster than that. Perfect. So if a, if a fence that comes at you, are you offended? Say yes. Be real. Okay, thank you. But see, this offense, me and him can get over. We can get over this. I'm sorry, man. No problem, right? You good? Yeah. Jerk. <laughs> no, so, so this offense we can get over. It may take a couple minutes. It may take a couple days, but it is not a big offense. Now, Chance, you just stand right there, okay? <laughs> see, this offense is greater. The reason why this offense is greater, thank you, you can go. The reason why this offense is greater is because this offense leaves a wound. Wounded people, you can tell who they are. Because when you leave a wound, it takes a little bit more than a sorry to get by it. If we could all stand. When a strong offense is, when it happens in your life and it hits you and leaves a wound in your life and you leave it unattended and you keep deceiving yourself that it's not there and you keep telling people you're okay. But what happens to that wound when you don't attend to it is that it begins to be infected. It begins to be fed with things that are, that are dark, and it begins to fester, and it begins to continue to grow on you. And just like what Pastor preached on, sometimes we'll even forget that we have the baggage. Because it's been there so long that we've, we haven't forgot about it, but we just don't want to deal with it. And it takes so long for these to heal because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to confront these wounds in our life. We don't want to confront the offense that happened in our life. If someone can come on the piano. What someone told me and told me to read, and it was kind of funny because it was, uh, it was a thing off Black Hawk Down. In 1993... There was a firefight in Somalia. Does everybody know this story? Okay, there was a firefight in Somalia. It was the largest firefight at the time uh, since Vietnam. And, and what happened was a Black Hawk ended up going down, which is a helicopter. And when that helicopter went down, they had to mobilize troops to go and, and recover the bodies and save whoever was alive. Well, they became under, they came under constant fire immense attack a captain looked at his lieutenant and he said get in the truck and drive we need to get out of here and the lieutenant said no I've, I've been shot man I'm wounded it's like I can't drive and the captain replied to him son we're all shot we're all wounded in some way or another This altar is open if you can make your way down here. 
We're all wounded. This altar is open for those who have anger and bitterness towards someone or a situation in their life. Maybe someone has been calling you names and it's been affecting your self-confidence. Maybe someone has been hurting you in a way that you can't understand. Maybe someone has humiliated you. Maybe someone has insulted you. Maybe someone has molested you when you were young and you still hold the wound and the burden. Maybe you went through a bad divorce and you can't find forgiveness. Maybe you were a child who watched the divorce tear your family apart and you haven't moved on. Maybe you just hide behind a smile at work in an effort to put people off on what's really going on inside. God is in this place. His healing nature is in this place. His spirit is in this place because he is here. He does not want you to live in this way. He doesn't want you to live wounded. He doesn't want you to live under offense but he wants you to have liberty of your situation. He wants you to be able to witness to people who are going through the same situation you're going through and to show them how they can beat it just like you beat it. If we could just lift up our hands right now and begin the call on the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the name that heals Lord, I surrender unto you, God. I don't want to live in my offense. I don't want to deceive myself, God. I don't want to be a victim of betrayal. I don't want to have my love wax cold. But I have so much to offer to this world. There you go. I have so much to offer to this world, God. I don't want to live with this regret. I don't want to live with this shame. I don't want to live with this in my heart. I don't want to live with these scars across my soul. God, I'm letting it go right now. I need you, Lord, but I can't do it on my own. I need you to get over this. There you go. Allow the Spirit to come through this place. There's healing taking place right now. He's trying to break down those walls that you put around your heart. That's Him knocking on the door. That's Him knocking on the gate. Just let Him in. Let Him win with His warmth, with His compassion, with His protection. Allow Him to wrap His arms around your heart. Allow Him to begin to have surgery on your feelings and your emotions. You can feel them. You can feel them beginning to tear down brick by brick. You can feel them beginning to love on you. The warmth of His Spirit going into your heart, going into that secret place, going into the place that not even you want to go, going into your pain, going into your suffering, going into your past. <laughs> 